Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And of course, as always, I am joined by my co-host, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire via USA Today, Mr. James Johnson. Jay, we are back with a really, really exciting episode. We have a really fun and insightful conversation we had with a draft expert named Justin Mello from the Draft network we're going to get to that here in just a moment but before we do jay you know uh, it's it's good to to be with you here this uh this afternoon and, and talk a little football and uh, you know you have a little uh distraction from everything else that's going on right now yeah man it's great to um be back talking football as you said it was great to have on justin who um you know he's been reaching out to me since like last year um, in, in terms of getting like draft insight to me and i have been wanting more for the longest uh, because he's like, you know, he specializes specifically in interviewing uh, draft picks and stuff. And he he interviewed a lot of guys last year and informed me of it on, um you know, through the Internet or whatever the case may be. And I will post it on the site. Uh, so, yeah, man, a well-informed guy. Um, Of course, you know, we, we got love for the draft network. They do good work over there in general. Um, I, You know, they've been around, what, two, three years. And we kind of watched them from kind of like, if you will, infancy. Uh, with with um, Jordan Reed and Trevor and um, Kyle Krabs, who also is the Dolphins wire manager. So, you know, shout outs to that whole crew. Glad we could bring you all some draft insight. And yeah, man, can't wait for the people to hear this episode. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a really, really good one. And, uh, you know, of course, we want to shout out everybody that's elsewhere in the country other than Florida because you're freezing right now. Someone left a freezer door open or something. I don't know. Elsa's out there running around singing Let It Go. I don't know what the hell is going on, but I know some of my friends out in Dallas are, are out there without power. You know, just stay safe try and stay warm and uh, yeah, just take care of each other, man. Cause of course, you know, 2021 has thrown us a few curveballs. I don't know how many people expected, uh, you know, everything to be frozen over altogether. So make sure you're staying safe out there before we get started. I want to thank you guys for listening to the show. If this is your first time uh, and you are enjoying the show, please head on over to Apple podcast and leave a five-star review as well as subscribing along with Apple podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Google play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Of course, you can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast as part of the awesome Believe Library. You can tweet us at the show, uh, Believe in Jags Pod on Twitter. You can find me at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Dawn. And of course, we have to shout out our first sponsor of the day, which is BetOnline.ag. You know, Jay, football may be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is betonline.ag. You know, Jay, we talk about it pretty much every single week. One of my favorite things over there is the prop bets because, you know, I don't put a lot of faith in myself to just, you know, straight up pick the line. So I'm going to go with something fun or, you know, who's going to be the MVP or how many hot dogs is, uh, you know, Chris Joey Chestnut going to eat this year, stuff like that. Bet Online even covers award shows, TV shows, and reality TV. They also have hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And, of course, the 24-hour online casino. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So, Jay, before we get to this discussion with Justin Mello, we do want to take just a moment to discuss uh, the events of last week. Now, of course, in, in typical Jaguar fashion, right after we finished uh, recording on Thursday, they announced who the coaching staff was going to be for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, we had been waiting for that, didn't get it. And, of course, as soon as we put out a new episode, it was presented to us. So, of course, you know, the, the biggest uh, uh, controversy that came out of that was the hiring of Chris Doyle. Now, by now, you guys have heard about it. We all know what happened. We're not going to rehash too much of it, but it turned a lot of heads and, and not for the right reasons, right? The Jaguars are usually never in the national media. Of course, they find themselves a lot 
uh, here recently with them having the number one overall pick. But this was being in the national spotlight for all of the wrong reasons. Chris Doyle, of course, has a very controversial past. Uh, now, of course, he was at one point the uh, the highest paid person as far as his position is in, in terms of, you know, college football. And uh, that brought a lot of, you know, his hiring brought down a lot of negative uh, connotations, of course. And Jay, you and I were very vocal about that as well, as were a lot of people in Jaguar Twitter. So, uh, you know, of course, now that has come and gone as he has uh, stepped down, turned in his resignation papers. This happened in the middle of the night. I think it was, what, Saturday, Jay? You know, we were all just hanging out, enjoying our weekend, and we're like, why did I get an email from the team at like 1130 at night? It was almost like a you up text that you get. Like it was like the Jaguars were wondering if we were paying attention, but we sure as heck were. So, you know, uh, like I said, Jay, we're not going to do too much rehashing, but with the beginning the middle and the end of this thing, you know, how did it play out in, in your eyes and how did we end up in this spot? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, uh, you know, me and you, aren't necessarily surprised, you know, because we, I mean, we, we voiced this in, podcast before you know this is the kind of stuff that comes with urban meyer um but i think what me and you and others and other fans were hoping was that you know is that he would realize this is the nfl realm and that he would leave a lot of that in college and uh here here he is you know early in his tenure um you know haven't even played his first game and he's trying his hand in these you know these shenanigans uh, you know, the, the way Eric kind of put it when we had Eric on and Aaron, you know, was kind of like the scandals associated with his name and, you know, the personnel decisions he's made. And uh, again, like, you know, so when we saw the the hiring, it was crazy because we were excited. We saw the graphic. We were like, oh, yay, they named the coaching staff. Here I am retweeting it and hadn't even looked at it thoroughly. And then there's Chris Doyle's name, like right there. As uh, I think he had a, a title as like a performance. Yeah, shout out to your nephew Boogie for pointing it out because I think, like you said, we were just kind of like, "Oh, cool, we finally got it." And then he was like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> yeah, shout outs to Boogie for that. Like he was like, uh, "Is that Chris Doyle's name on there?" As the uh, I think he was the sports performance uh, manager or something like that was his title. And I was like, "Oh my god!" And then when I I I recognized that name. But I just couldn't uh, quite put my finger on like what exactly happened, but I knew it was terrible. And I researched it. I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. Right. And, uh, you know, like as we a lot of us had to do, you know what I'm saying? But, um, you know, it went, you know, upon reading all of the stuff and, you know, I laid it all out there, you know, on, on the Jaguars wire. I was trying to be accurate as possible and just put it all on the table for everybody to know, like what allegations occurred. Uh, because the people deserve to know and shout outs. And that's that's what I liked about this process. Shout outs to the journalists for doing their part to, you know, get it out there. Who exactly Chris Doyle was and doing it accurately. Um, I know it was D-Rock was the first one to ask a question. Uh, and for those of you who are wondering who D-Rock is, that's Michael DeRocco from ESPN. He took this head on and he, um, you know, during that first press conference that occurred after the coaching staff had been named. I think it was him that asked a question about Chris Doyle's controversial paths, uh, past with African-Americans. It also was Mia O'Brien as well. And I think AP Mark Lone might have, you know, asked a question about it, too. Uh, but, you know, you could tell right off rip it was a, a questionable hire. And, uh, you know, again, not surprising because these are the kind of people that Urban Meyer has uh, associated his name with in the past. Uh, but look. He's finding out quick that the NFL is going to hold him more accountable than the college realm did. And the people more so around the NFL are. And, you know, this time you have to answer to our owner and Shad Khan, who, you know, from how we gather it, signed off on this. And uh, they say Trent Baalke as well. But see, my thing with Baalke, though, is like if you are going to sit here and tell us that Urban Meyer's running the show and he's the lead guy, like how much say did Baalke really have in it? You know what I'm saying? So, like, I can't this is something I can't really point a finger at him for because ultimately Shah Khan told us that Urban Meyer is the guy and would have the final say so it didn't matter what Balky said because he probably felt like hey regardless you're gonna hire Chris Doyle anyway because this is your guy and you you know you as you said in the press conference you've been around him for 20 years or you've known him for 20 years so that said the one last thing I want to touch on is just you know I was hoping that being that Urban Meyer is such a powerful figure in the college realm, right, in, in, in the NFL or just the football community in general. What I was hoping to see later down the road, not necessarily now because I know he's busy, uh, was just to kind of him use his voice and establish himself 
uh, to help the minorities of uh, the football community, because as we all know, they're getting looked over in a lot of cases. And, you know, it, it takes sometimes, you know, these these higher up figures and these popular figures to shed light on the African-American community and how they're being done, basically, in the NFL. A prime example is Bruce Arians, you know, and, and the staff he made. And, he, you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people have their eyes on that staff now. And sooner or later, people are going to come calling them for head coach opportunities or you know, offensive coordinator opportunities for the position guys or, you know, just an upgrading job. So, you know, I was hoping like down the road somewhere and not necessarily not saying with the coaching staff, but just in some way, shape or form, though, that Urban Meyer would, you know, establish himself as an ally uh, for African-Americans to kind of, you know, get their voices out there. However, um, you know, he's starting off things like this with questionable decisions like this. And it's just head scratching to say the least that he would do that. But I mean, look, we're going to be watching to see what kind of decisions he makes in terms of personnel after this. But we know that they won't be as questionable, hopefully, as the uh, hiring of Chris Doyle. Yeah. And, and like you said, you know, this is uh, urban learning that he is going to be held accountable for this, because in what situation ever would someone, you know, who uh, is being hired as the director of sports performance ever going to cause this much commotion, right? Because normally that's a name. Like we just said, Jay, we didn't even notice it at first. We had It was pointed out to us by somebody else. So normally this is a hire that is supposed to come with very little repercussion. And Urban Meyer is learning, oh, people noticed that I brought in this guy. And, you know, I want to talk about how he said, you know, he heavily vetted him, quote unquote. Well, I don't think you did urban because then otherwise you would have known or or if he did he didn't care i guess that's the more concerning part is that because he was he was i'm sure very aware of the circumstances in which chris was let go of his previous position no matter how good at his job he was and you know we i i heard um I heard uh, I was listening to Brent and, and Austin talk about this and, you know, how Austin was talking about he had mentioned, you know, if if this guy had this kind of checkered pass and he was brought into the locker room, he would have a problem with it. You know, he, he would have an issue with it. And, you know, questions started coming in, like, how are people how is this going to affect, you know, in not only incoming rookies, but also free agents and all that kind of stuff. And ultimately, yes, a, a team wants to win. They want to. Uh, put you know put w's on the board but also we are in the i think it was marcus spears that mentioned you know how tone deaf of a decision could you possibly make at a time right now where the country is still fractured right now you know we we have maybe taken some steps in the right direction but things are broken and for you to make a decision like this is just so incredibly the, the logistics of it looks so awful. So I'm, I'm glad that, of course, it has now come full circle. And I think this was really the only decision that could have been made was that he was going to have to either step down on his own or be let go. Who knows? You know, we, we got the statement that he submitted his resignation. Who knows if that's what really happened? I'm not sure that we'll ever really know. We're not going to know anytime soon. I guess I'll say that. Um, so, you know, like, like you said, Jay, echo a lot of what you say and what a lot of Jaguar Twitter and also the national media, like you said, shout out to not only the national media, but the local media as well for saying this is not okay this is something that is not going to fly and like you said urban meyer is learning that very very early that we are paying attention to everything that is done here within the organization absolutely he's learning too you know and you will hear this in the the part where we talk with justin um you know the nfl is different in a sense uh that the recruiting process is a little bit harder and what happened probably is hiring chris doyle hurt Urban Meyer's recruiting process in the NFL. Normally, if he was at Ohio State or Florida, you know, people wouldn't pay it no mind and he still could bring in all of these, these five-star recruits. In the NFL, you're held more accountable. Uh, you know, agents probably were calling saying, hey, uh, is this the kind of moves you're making? Um, and I, I think it was the, uh, the um, is it Fritz Pollard organization that called them out for this immediately? Or they, they I think it was the next day that they called them out for yeah, the Fritz Pollard Alliance. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And so with them calling them out, you know what I'm saying? That brought some attention to it. And it's funny, like as soon as they called him out, four hours later, or three hours later, he's turning in a resignation paper or whatever the case may be. Uh, but yeah, like with the limited opportunities you have to acquire talent on the roster, this that's exactly what happened is we brought attention to it as the, as the media. He saw that it would affect 
you know, his, uh, his ability probably, you know, in my opinion, this is probably what happened. Uh, agents were letting him know they didn't agree with it. And, uh, you know, that being said, you know, he realized rather quickly that, you know, these questionable moves that he's made in the past won't float in the NFL. So uh, with that being said, um, you know, here we are. He 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 stepped down. And, uh, you know, personally, a lot of people are going to be watching Urban Meyer uh, here, from, you know, in terms of personnel decisions um, from this point on closely heading forward. Absolutely. So Jay, Jay and I wanted to, you know, touch on that because, you know, we know we have a responsibility with this platform. We're, we're tired of hearing about it. You guys are tired of hearing about it, but we still needed to acknowledge it here uh, since we didn't get a chance to last on last week's episode. So that being said, Jay, let's get into, you know, why we're so excited for people to listen to. And that's our discussion with Justin Mello, uh, who covers the NFL draft from the draft network. So let's get into questions about Trevor Lawrence, as well as, you know, uh, some other pieces in the draft that might be hiding in plain sight. All right, folks, it's time to talk some NFL draft heading into April. And for that, we have our very first special guest of the draft season. We have Justin Mello from TDN. If you guys remember, we had Jordan Reed from the Draft Network on a few months back, and we were really, really excited to hear that Justin was able to spare some time. As mentioned, he covers the NFL draft for the Draft Network, but also covers the Tennessee Titans for a multitude of different outlets. And I know, guys, you're going to get a little upset that we brought a Titans guy in here. But as you have seen, Jay and I have always played nice with titans fans and titans writers so justin thank you so much for coming on believe in the jaguars we really appreciate it we hope that you're doing well and, and safe throughout all this and and excited to get into the nfl draft so how are you doing today uh, i'm doing well guys uh thanks for having me excited to get into some draft talk and potentially some uh a little division fun here Absolutely. Of course, there are a lot of changes coming our way, not from only just the Jaguars, but really just the division in general. So we're going to get right into it. We know, uh, you know, you, you have some other stuff to do. So, Jay, why don't you go ahead and get us kicked off with, uh, I think, the, you know, the question that's on everybody's mind with the number one overall pick. Yeah, Justin, glad to have you, man. And um, by the way, me and Phil, again, we said this before uh, the podcast started. Uh, we love your work that you've done with um, the Giraffe Network. And even before that, you were with the um, with the USA Today Sports Wire. So um, glad to see that you are uh, doing still well as well um, during these troubling times in terms of what's going on in the country. And uh, yeah, so my first question is going to go right into uh, the draft. And like Phil said, it's kind of the question on everybody's mind uh, in terms of Trevor Lawrence. People have their different takes on him uh, in terms of... Um, where they, I guess you could say who he compares to. So I'll ask you that as, uh, as my first question, who do you think he compares to uh, in terms of a NFL player currently, or, you know, somebody who may be retired. I think I know where you'll go with that. If you go with a retired person and uh, also um, just your overall thoughts on Trevor Lawrence in general. Yeah. I mean, the Jacksonville fan base should be incredibly excited to have the number one pick in this draft because if there's ever a year to have it, I, I think this is the one you'd probably, you know, choose out of the last 10 years. Uh, you know, this is probably the one that you'd want to have. So uh, in terms of a player comp, I, I've always put my hand up and say, I don't love making those. I don't think I'm very good at them, truth be told. Uh, but certainly as a retired player, you know, you, you kind of guessed it already. I think Andrew Luck is probably where you to go in terms of just the overall size how physically gifted Trevor Lawrence is you know the arm talent and then the things that he could make happen with his legs uh, as well that we sort of saw on a weekly basis there at Clemson um, you know what an exciting time it would be I I'd say to be a Jacksonville fan right now uh, with, with Urban Meyer coming in as head coach and, and owning this number one overall pick uh, you know I, I can't understand you know you said how some people are maybe split on him but I can't imagine not being high on this guy I mean I, anyone who's knocking him, you're, you're, you're kind of looking for it at that point, right? You're trying to find a way uh, to poke holes in his game. Cause this is just, again, you know, six, six, two twenty. every measurable that every NFL coach would dream of at the quarterback position. He's got a great football IQ. You see him read coverage, you know, they didn't baby him there at Clemson. They asked him to identify things. And he did so at a high level. He's not afraid to make difficult throws. Again, he did it constantly. He was always throwing in the tight windows there. He's incredibly calm under pressure. And that's one of the things that you can't teach as a quarterback, right? I've always said that's a trait that you either have or you don't. You either remain calm under pressure as a quarterback or you don't. And Trevor Lawrence does. 
Um, you know, the mechanics are excellent. There's not going to be a whole lot of work, I think, that goes into, you know, changing the way that he releases the ball, the way he delivers it, all the way from his lower body up to, you know, his throwing motion. I think everything is very clean there. He's got a strong arm. You're never going to worry about it not getting there uh, on time. I hear a, a tough guy that played through injuries as an excellent runner, as I kind of alluded to already. I mean, I'm just, I, I know I'm kind of going off here, but how can you not just be, you know, super excited about him as a player and as a prospect? And Jacksonville's in in a very wonderful position. Uh, I mean, it's been a lot of dark times there outside of that one year where they went to the AFC Championship game uh, that no one really saw coming that one year. But outside of that, obviously, it's been tough to be a Jacksonville fan for the last, you know, 10, 20 years now or so. But uh, you, you've got to be excited about getting this guy into your franchise. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I, I especially agree with you with the people uh, that are saying that, you know, that they don't know if he'll be a generational talent. I keep seeing that um, on certain sites, not necessarily all of them. You know, some people are saying, like, I don't know if I would put him in the class with Andrew Luck and put him in the class with Peyton Manning and put him in the class with John Elway. And that just baffles me personally, um, because and I've always said it since I've started evaluating the draft in terms of uh, prospects and college prospects, I will always say that Andrew Luck was the easiest evaluation I ever had to make in terms of a, a college prospect. And then I feel like Trevor Lawrence is along those lines. Like you pop in the tape, like, and it doesn't necessarily take like, you know, you to be this super keen uh, draft analyst to see um, and you don't have to have this this super high football IQ to see that this guy looks like the real deal and he's legit. The physical tools are there, as you said. Um, he, he offers you something in terms of uh, being able to run the ball when needed. Um, and, and like you said, the, the mechanics don't really all much need that work, uh, that much work, in my opinion, either. So I agree with you there. And uh, like you said, Jacksonville Jaguars fans should be definitely happy uh, to have this guy coming into uh, the organization. So on the next question, I'm going to pass it off to Phil real quick. And uh, yeah, have at it, my man. Yeah, absolutely. And Justin, you definitely hit the head on it. You know, of, of course, with you covering the division, you know that there is a sense of excitement here in the city. And it's very akin to 2017, where, you know, uh, I talk about this all the time. I was living in Dallas at the time, but still just understood the energy and the excitement in the city. And it is a very exciting time. So very much looking forward to that. And, you know, one of the big pieces of that 2017 team, of course, was Jalen Ramsey, who is now no longer here on the team. And we have that second pick at, at number 25. You know, we first, uh, the first uh, part of that trade came last year. We got Caleb on chase on. I think uh, he, yeah, he definitely had some bright spots and the jury is still kind of out on him. Uh, and the overall consensus is that the Rams did win that trade, even though they did have to make it. Um, so who do you think that the Jags should target? Maybe that will be around at number 25. And, and also, do you think what would be the biggest need since of course, or the second biggest need, I should say, since of course we know where they're going to go with number one. Yeah, I mean, you think that they'll probably do something on the on the defensive side of the ball there at 25. Uh, I didn't think the defense was very good last season. You know, you're going to have your quarterback in place, as you said. You've got some weapons elsewhere. Of course, you know, DJ Chark uh, being a terrific wide receiver. James Robinson uh, establishing himself, uh, you know, was, was a terrific undrafted free agent and really proving that he could be the guy to carry the load for them uh, at wide receiver. You also got uh, LaVisca Chenault, who, who you fully expect to continue developing into a good weapon uh, they're at receiver. So I really feel like they've got some good pieces on offense. You would think they would target maybe something on the defensive side of the ball uh, there at 25, maybe, maybe another edge rusher. I, I know, again, they took Chase on last year and he had some flashes and they took CJ Henderson as well uh, last year in the top 10. But I do feel like they probably need uh, some more pieces on the defense there. It's a young defense. It's gone through a, a real big transition, right? Over the last couple of years, they've lost a lot of those veteran guys, um, who were kind of the cornerstones of that defense for, for several years, specifically uh, that year that I mentioned where they went to the uh, AFC championship game. But you look at maybe something like corner again, you know, you can never have too many of them. Uh, maybe a guy like JC Horn out of South Carolina, if he's still available, maybe a guy like Ify Melifanwu out of Syracuse, who I think is really climbing up draft boards. Uh, as of late, you look at linebacker, uh, you know, the kid from Notre Dame, uh, Jeremiah Owosu-Kuromoa, it could be a guy I think that makes a lot of sense there. But it really is going to depend on what they want to do 
Um, you know, and getting Lawrence, perhaps they think they need to invest more in the offensive line, right? It's the most important thing when you're drafting a young quarterback is that you have an O-line to block for him. And, and if that's the way they want to go, uh, lucky for them, there are some terrific offensive linemen in this class. It's a really deep class. Maybe a guy like Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State or Elijah Vera Tucker, Christian Derisaw, uh, Sam Cosme from Texas. So they're, they're uh, Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State. So uh, they're going to have a lot of options there at 25th overall. And, and I, for one, am very curious to see whether they decide to, to spend that pick on maybe protecting Trevor Lawrence up front or maybe getting uh, another guy on defense. Yeah, I'm actually glad you brought up the offensive alignment there, Justin, because that kind of gives me a follow-up question here. A lot of talk has been coming up lately about the Jags possibly dealing that 25th pick, you know, for an Orlando Brown, whose name is out there, of course. Now, just, you know, from, from your perspective, uh, taking the money out of it, because of Nora, we know, of course, that's going to come with a, you know, a high price tag if you make that trade. Where, where would you rank that in terms of trading that pick for somebody like that's established that is all obviously going to require a little bit more of a, a long-term commitment? Or do you see enough potential in some of these early round uh, tackles that, that maybe they would want to bring them in instead? So for, for me, you know, and look, I, I love the draft, as you can probably figure. Um, but I, I think people sometimes overrate the value of picks. And what I mean by saying that is, oh, you, you don't trade draft picks. You don't look. No, I think if you can trade a draft pick for a, a proven guy who's not, you know, on the wrong side of 30, a guy who's got a lot of good football in front of him, one that you already know is a good football player, then I don't think that's a bad decision to make. I guarantee you that the Indianapolis Colts do not regret the trade they made last year when they, I believe it was the 14th overall pick and they got to Forrest Buckner in return. Who were they going to draft at 14 really that made the impact that Buckner had on their defense last year? Now you add in the fact that we're dealing with yet another COVID draft where you're not going to get to know these uh, these kids as well as you would like to you're going to be doing a lot of things virtually remember i mean we had covid last year but this draft is going to be more impacted by COVID than last year's was because we got a scouting combine last year, at least. Right. So teams had more opportunities last year to vet these kids than they will this year. A lot of teams, you're going to feel a little bit like you're going in blindly this year. So for a team like Jacksonville, if you could flip that 21th over or 25th overall pick to Baltimore for a proven offensive lineman, the way as Brown is to me, that's a no brainer. They have the cap space to pay him long-term. He has proven that he's a quality start you know beyond a quality starting tackle in this league so to me especially again because of the year that we're dealing with it's a it would be a no-brainer to flip that pick for a talent like Orlando Brown Hey guys, hope you're enjoying this conversation with Justin Mello from the Draft Network. Before we continue, we want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair that you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box the logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives the authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity, and it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. With that being said, let's get back to our conversation with Justin Mello. Got it. Well, there you have it, folks. That's a great insight there, Justin. I really, yeah, that's uh, kind of how, you know, Jay and I have been a little, a little split on it, but you know, when you, when you definitely put it that way, when you're talking about a proven commodity and I'm just going to put it out there, Jay, that that's the philosophy I've been using on Madden for years and the Jaguars are great in the game. So, uh, but, but I'll pass it over to you for the, for the next question. Oh, uh, you and those Madden takes, huh, man? You couldn't, you couldn't go one podcast without it. But, I mean, like, just to go back real quick, I know, um, you know, we want to let uh, Justin go in a, 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 um, in a reasonable amount of time. But just to go back real quick, I agree with what you said about the edge rusher position in terms of, you know, getting some more help there. Because if you look at uh, their defensive coordinator, Joe Cullen, they brought him in this year a former defensive line coach for the Baltimore Ravens. And he was a defensive line coach for the Jags back in 2010 to 2012. But you look at how Baltimore operates. And, you know, I didn't really realize this until I started watching Baltimore a little bit more thoroughly. They rotate linemen kind of heavily. And they're, they're, 
defensive backs are interchangeable too. Like they play different positions at times. But yeah, I agree with the edge rusher thing is they, while they do have Allen, while they do have Chase Sun, uh, they also could use, you know, uh, another one of these guys in the rotation because that's just how Baltimore operates. And that's what Joe Cullen could ask for. Uh, but, you know, time will tell. We'll see. But I'm I'm not opposed to getting an edge rusher uh, at 25, despite, you know, how uh, youthful the Jaguars are at that position. So uh, my first or my second question, should I say, will be about the senior bowl, actually. Um, I don't know if you attended it, Justin, but I know if you didn't attend it, you did uh, look into it thoroughly and you, you studied some prospects, this, that and the other. Um, if you would, who were some standouts in your book during the senior bowl process in Mobile? Yeah, I mean, that's tough because there are so many of them, uh, in my opinion. You know, some guys that immediately come to mind for me, um, one would be Dalen Hayes, an edge rusher out of Notre Dame, um, who I recently had a chance to interview, uh, a guy that really blew me away, thought he was a a very interesting uh, prospect on tape. And and when you talk to him, you know, he brought up some great points on, you know, the concerns on him maybe being, you know, production related. And and he kind of said how Notre Dame likes to set up their defense. They're they're not exactly set up um, to to, to fill up the stack sheet with sacks, brought up a good point that they've had a lot of edge rushers coming out of there lately, and and nobody's really had a double digit sack season. So he's a guy that went down to the senior bowl and, and played more of a traditional edge role, uh, you know, rush, with, you know, either with his hand in the dirt uh, or standing up. And I thought he looked really good, had a really deep arsenal of pass rush moves. A couple of small school offensive linemen as well. Jalen Moore, an offensive tackle out of Western Michigan, who I thought looked really good, you know, handled the step up in competition uh, and, and I thought played really well. Uh, Dante Smith, guy you probably haven't heard a lot about, but is an offensive tackle out of ECU, uh, measured in with the longest arms out of any prospect, uh, or out of any, uh, sorry, offensive lineman that is at the senior bowl and coaches love that length, right? Again, one of those things that you can't teach and is really a, a requirement on the edge to, to, uh, to battle the, you know, the edge rushers that we see in today's NFL. Uh, another guy that stuck out to me and probably had the best senior bowl out of anybody. And I'd be silly not to mention him, uh, would be Quinn Miners, division three, Wisconsin Whitewater. Uh, not embarrassed to admit it's a school I had never heard of. You don't see a lot of D3 guys uh, getting to the senior bowl. You know, you always seem to have one or two D2 kids that blow it up, but to have a D3 guy is pretty rare. Reminded everyone of Ali Marpet, right? The guard uh, who, who kind of went to the senior bowl as a D3 guy about six or seven years ago and, and was terrific out there. And, and I see a similar path for minors. You know, uh, Marpet went there and, uh, and elevated his draft stock tremendously. I remember before that senior bowl, he was looked at as probably going undrafted or maybe he was a sixth round pick he ended up going in the second round and he was terrific and he's been terrific in the NFL and I think the same thing's going to happen for minors here I think he's going to get drafted a lot earlier than people anticipate um he played guard and center at the senior bowl. The, the curious thing about that is he never played a single game in college at center. You know, here's a guy who didn't even have a 2020 season uh, due to the impact that uh, COVID had on, on, on the, on his conference, again, being D three at Wisconsin whitewater. He didn't play in 2020. He goes to the senior bowl. He plays a uh, guard of course, where he's played his entire life, but then he gets some reps at center and he looks terrific. And I heard from multiple sources that the biggest question teams were asking him in the meeting room were, is it true? that you've never played center before. I mean, he was so good at it that teams didn't believe him. They didn't believe that he had never played center in his life because how does a guy come in here and step up against D1 competition? You know, again, here's a D3 guy playing for the first time in his life against D lineman from Ohio State, right? From Notre Dame, from, from, from you name it. And he's handling himself well. So nobody had a better senior bowl than Quinn Miners did. And I think it will reflect on draft weekend when he goes a lot earlier than, than some may anticipate. Okay. That's what's up. And, and you did mention some names that uh, that I was well familiar of. Um, yeah, like you said, the Miners kid. Uh, he, you, you couldn't turn on like Twitter without like seeing him flatten somebody or whatever the case may be. And seeing you know, that belly in the crop top jersey he was rocking. Yeah, yeah. Like he was just all over the place. And, uh, you know, he kind of his path kind of reminds me of Ben Barch. Uh, because Ben Barch made himself some money last year in the senior bowl as well. Nobody knew who he was either. Uh, coming into the process and um you know here we are the Jaguars have been barred so maybe you know it might be in the worst that they can get um Quinn Miners but we'll see and also um one thing I wanted to ask real quick uh Levi on Wuzuriki real quick uh if you would like do you think he is a fit for a 34 scheme 
um, because I had him in my um, next mock draft, and um, we believe that the Baltimore Ravens, or should I say the Jacksonville Jaguars, are going to look more like the Baltimore Ravens on defense. And uh, he's a guy like that. I think, you know, if they feel like he's a fit in that type of a scheme, uh, that they could target at the uh, first uh, number 33 overall, which is the first round, uh, the first overall pick in the second round. Uh, real quick, what are your thoughts on him? Well, first of all, I, I like the way you're thinking because I, I do think he's a guy um, that's going to make sense somewhere early in the second round. I, before I get into my evaluation of him, um, few players throughout this process um, it surprise, and by process, I mean my process of, of turning on the tape and, and scouting players, which I do every year. I do about two to 300 players per year. Um, few players have impressed me this, uh, this, this year the way he did. Because, and, and I'll admit, because when I went into the tape, being an East Coast guy, we don't always catch a lot of Pac-12, uh, you know, and I feel like that, that kind of goes for everybody on the East Coast. It always feels like the Pac-12 guys are, are a little bit underrated for whatever reason. So I go into my tape study of this kid, and, and I don't know much about him, and I'm not afraid to admit that. I, I really did not know a ton about him, and he blew me away. I go, you know, how the heck did I not know more about this guy? Uh, now, I know he didn't play in 2020. He's one of the guys that opted out. Um, so you got to go back to 2019 to turn the tape on him. But, he, you know, he, he goes into the senior bowl. He's measured in at about 6'2", 290. Got a, you know, a pretty nice wingspan at, at 80, um, or sorry, nice arm length, about 32 inches, I believe. I believe it was uh, for an interior D lineman. And you turn the tape on, you watch him against California in 2019. I thought he was terrific. Uh, had a great game stopping the run in that one, but he's got some juice as a pass rusher uh, as well. You watch him against Washington State uh, again. And the O-line, I mean, you watch that game, you're going to learn something about how much uh, offensive linemen respected this guy going into their matchups. There were times where you felt like he had three or four offensive linemen on him. So he's a great run stopper. Uh, he moves really well for a big guy. I think he's got good flexibility considering uh, his size and stature. He's got a lot of power in his hands. Uh, he's an outstanding run defender already. And I think uh, he's got some untapped potential as a pass rusher. And we, and we saw him do some things there at Washington uh, to impact the pocket. So he's a guy that I really like. I think I would personally prefer him in a 4-3 defense. I think he makes a lot of sense, maybe even as a three technique. I can see him developing in, into something like that. But I, I wouldn't worry too much about what, what scheme he fits into. Because I think at the end of the day, this is a good football player that gets on the field for you. And, and, and he's the kind of guy that, that you help, right? And you, you kind of tailor your scheme to a little bit, uh, in a sense. You, you don't draft him and, and try to turn him into something he's not. But I think he's going to fit any scheme um, that Jacksonville wants to run there. Exactly. You, you, knew, you said you hit the nail on the head there. And, you know, that's the thing that Joe Cullen kind of alluded to in his first press conference was just was that you know we're going to be adaptable to what we have you know it, it doesn't matter like in terms of um you know like I guess you know a lot of people do put a lot into the alignment and what whatever the case may be uh but yeah like you said like he's just the kind of player that if you draft you know you'll find a place for him um and he seems like he'll work his tail off to flourish in it and uh, yeah, he's a guy that a lot of people should be excited for in my eyes. So I'm going to pass the next one to Phil, which is on the draft class in general. Yeah, folks, again, we are talking with Justin Mello, who covers the NFL draft for the draft network. He also covers the Tennessee Titans for the Broadway Sports Network and Music City Miracles uh, here for this next question. Second to last question here, Justin, you know, the Jaguars have had a pretty solid success as far as the last few years under Dave Caldwell drafting in the later rounds. And we certainly hope that continues to uh, that continues with this new regime. So who are some late round gems that, you know, maybe the Jaguars that Jaguar fans should, uh, you know, keep an eye on. And also, you know, where do you think the the strength of this draft class is, you know, last year, of course, it was uh, the receivers. And then this year, again, you know, a very strong receiver draft. Uh, so, you know, who are some late round uh, talents that we should keep an eye on? And also, where do you think the strength of this draft lies? Yeah, so starting with the strength of the draft, uh, I think uh, I'd say offensive line is probably the strongest overall, um, you know, position room here. I think uh, 
at all positions. I think the tackle class is incredibly deep. And I, and I think it's a good thing for the NFL. I think the timing is right. I think we saw a lot of offensive lines uh, really struggle uh, during the 2020 season. And I think a lot of teams can use uh, several upgrades uh, along their uh, line. So I could guarantee you there are a ton of uh, you know NFL people, general managers, scouts who are really happy to see um, the, the strength of this class being on the O-line. And I think you're going to see a lot of picks early uh, going that way, even maybe more than some people uh, are anticipating right now. I think receiver is once again, incredibly strong. Uh, no one's going to be surprised to hear that. Uh, the class last year was terrific. And it, it's actually, it's unbelievable that this year's class uh, appears to, to have the potential to mirror uh, the strength of last year's class. And that's very exciting. There, there are receivers here, every shape. And so they come in every shape and size and uh, you want to speedster. You want a big bodied guy. Uh, you want just a, a route technician that understands how to get open. Uh, you're going to get a lot of that uh, in terms of uh, small school gems towards the end of the round. There are uh, towards the end of the draft. Sorry. There are a couple of corners that I'm really high on guys who were at the senior bowl, smaller school guys um, who, who did get combine invites uh, as well. Robert Rochelle, a, a corner out of central Arkansas is someone that intrigues me very much. Uh, Brian Mills is another guy from the FCS level uh, that intrigues me very much. Um, uh, Cade Johnson is a receiver from San Diego State uh, that was at the Senior Bowl. And, and really, uh, I spoke to a lot of um, you know corners there who told me they had a tough time uh, covering him in practice. And that's always what you want to see when you got a small school uh, receiver out there, right? You want to see him uh, handle himself. Uh, against top uh, level competition. Uh, back to Brian Mills, I forgot to mention that's North Carolina Central University. So if, again, if you're not familiar with these two corners, Brian Mills and Robert Rochelle, uh, they're two guys that I'm very high on. Uh, and you know, one underrated, the running back class. Let me just touch on them real quick. Because uh, there are some fun players there. I don't know that it's incredibly deep, but I think guys, you know, that 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 have that versatility to catch the ball out of the backfield. We know how big that is in today's NFL with guys like Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey really changing the way uh, that the game is being played and that the way the position is being utilized. You have got a guy like Kenneth Gainwell out of Memphis, who I have not heard enough buzz on yet uh, personally. I absolutely love his game. He's one of the, you know you could scout two three hundred guys in this draft. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell will be one of the most fun ones you scout. I can promise you that. Uh, Michael Carter out of North Carolina is another guy that's so exciting. Uh, such a dazzling skill set that he possesses and, and really does a lot of damage in the passing game. He formed such a fun one-two punch with Javante Williams, the other running back there at North Carolina, who I think is going to have a huge career at the next level. Uh, but yeah, just to kind of summarize in terms of small, going back to small school gems, uh, Brian Mills, Robert Rochelle, uh, and Cade Johnson are, are probably three guys that I would definitely uh, keep my eye out, to, uh, especially on uh, you know the later portion of day three. Well, there you have it, guys. Hope you were taking notes because I certainly was uh, so I can jot those names down and, and, and start putting putting some film on. Uh, this is always, again, one of our favorite times of the year, which is, you know, of course, why we we brought Justin on. Uh, Justin, I know you, you, um, you had about 20, 25 minutes. We have one more. Do you still have time or do you need to go? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. All right, Justin. Well, uh, with that being said, the last question, uh, it was kind of more so related to the pro football realm and, and a little bit in the college realm, too, though. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on the Jaguars inquiring Urban Meyer, who, um, you know, he's a guy that you know, will just come out and say he does come with some controversy, as we saw last week. And, you know, me and Phil have been vocal about that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, he's someone that brings a winning resume to the Jacksonville Jaguars organization. And also uh, he does help them from the standpoint of, as you said, this is a weird draft process. And uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's going to be hard to kind of get to know these prospects. Well, he's from the college realm. He already knows these guys. So that puts them a step ahead of everybody. So, yeah, real quick, what are your thoughts on the Jazz acquiring Urban Meyer and, uh, you know, what it could mean for the rest of the AFC South? Uh, I'm going to admit that I, I wasn't crazy high on that decision. I, I thought it was an incredibly bold uh, by the ownership group. I mean, obviously, this is a very important time um, in their in their history and in their franchise, you know, again, having the number one overall pick and having a talent like Trevor Lawrence available to them, the coaching hire was obviously going to be incredibly important. And, um, you know, they went out and they made a bold one. Look, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to say that Urban Meyer is a terrible hire because uh, obviously the, the winning pedigree that he brings with him, uh, you know, you, you can't question that. He, he wins. He's won everywhere he's been, Florida, Ohio State. He, he's a flat-out winner. So from that, as, from that aspect of it, um, it's encouraging. Where I worry is, you know, a lot of times these college coaches, we, you know, we saw it with Nick Saban, right? We saw what, what his stint in the NFL, uh, it didn't go so great, right? And, and he's had terrific success, obviously, since then at Alabama. Um, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, I mean, the jury's still out. We'll see. I, I thought Arizona was a little bit disappointing this year. Uh, Matt Rule, I, I thought did some good things in year one with Carolina. But again, we'll, we'll see how that continues to develop. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's a big you know, a learning curve for these college coaches when they come to the NFL and take a head coaching job. One of the biggest ones, and I've spoken to college coaches who have told me this, believe it or not, is a guy like Urban Meyer recruiting at Ohio State, re- recruiting at Florida. You know, it's easy. You, you, you feel like they get whoever they want on a yearly basis, right? <laughs> and now you're going to the NFL draft and you only got, you know, six to 10 picks of an entire class. It, it's not something they're really used to, right? They're used to acquiring talent. How? pretty much however they choose to. So uh, that's a big learning curve, I think, for college coaches is filling out a roster without uh, getting a bunch of four or five-star guys uh, just on, on a yearly basis. Uh, and, and the game is so different, and the way you run the organization is very different. Now, you add in his age into it. You add in that he's had some health concerns in the past, and he's mm-hmm. you know apparently retired due to those health concerns um, at different times. Uh, it, it's a very bold hire. It's a very bold hire, I'll say that. And, and I, for one, I'm very curious to see how it's going to play out for them. I think they probably could have done something maybe a little bit safer, maybe a little bit smarter. Uh, but, hey, safe doesn't always win you football games, right? So they're obviously uh, aiming for the moon here with, with, with this hire. And uh, I, I, for one, am incredibly curious to see how it's going to play. I'm not saying that it's absolutely going to fail, uh, but, I, you know, I'm very curious to see how it's going to play out. Yeah, me and Phil will probably agree with you there. Uh, We weren't crazy about the hire. uh, And we, you know, like we were looking at guys more along the lines of like Enemy and Brian Dayball. We were hoping for like some guys like that. Uh, But, you know, like it doesn't surprise me at the same time because Shad Khan, and I don't know if people realize this, but he always shoots for the flashy hire. Uh, He tried to go with nostalgia with, with Tom Coughlin. He's probably trying to target the same thing here while at the same time bringing somebody who has that winning pedigree, uh, you know, and somebody more so like I think what he was looking for is more so is a program overseer. Uh, So we'll see how it works out. Uh, Time will tell on that. Uh, But that being said, Justin, we appreciate you coming on and everything, man, and we appreciate your time. Uh, If you would, if you want to plug some handles and plug some of your information out there real quick before you leave us, go right ahead at it and let uh, let the people know where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. You could follow me uh, on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. That's uh, J-U-S-T-I-N-M. Uh, underscore NFL. Um, you know, this time of year is, is kind of my time. I'll uh, be reporting on a lot of draft visits uh, for not o- for Jacksonville and the rest of the league, uh, breaking news daily on which players are meeting with which NFL teams throughout this process. So follow me there for all that info. I'm also releasing pretty much one interview a day uh, with uh, players from this draft class over at the draft network. Of course, follow the draft network at the draft network. Um, you know, if, if you're, Hey, if you're a Jack- Jacksonville fan and you want to read up on the Tennessee Titans and you want to keep up with a division rival, uh, make sure you're following uh, Broadway 10. That's actually spelled. uh, So Broadway, B-R-O-A-D-W-A-Y-T-N as in Tennessee. So at Broadway 10. Um, for all the latest on uh, on Tennessee Titans stuff. And, and and we do write some Jag stuff as well and, and keep up with the division rivals, of course. But mainly, um, again, uh, at Justin M underscore NFL for a, a ton of draft news coming your way over the next several months. All right, so there we have it. Um, Justin just pretty much uh, gave you all the information you need to know uh, to find him. Of course, we'll put it in uh, our description for this podcast as well where you can follow him this that and the other uh justin we appreciate you coming on man and uh once again man we got to have you on later down the road maybe after the draft whatever the case may be and then more so we could chop up you know a little bit more of the draft and what happened but more so some afc south stuff Uh, but appreciate you coming on man you have a good one absolutely i appreciate you guys for having me yep thanks justin
All right, guys, there is our interview with Justin Mello from the Giraffe Network. Again, shout out to him. And we're going to make sure all of his projects are linked in the description of this episode. Jay, he had a lot of interesting things to say. And, you know, this is always uh, one of our favorite times of the year. So expect a lot more draft analysts to be on here in the next coming weeks. Yeah, yeah. Last year, you know, we we made a name for ourselves in terms of the draft process. Um, got to talk to Daniel Jeremiah. Um, and, and this this year, you know, we want to talk to him as well. But, um, you know, we want to talk to some of the guys who uh, do not have a uh, necessarily a light shined on them like Daniel Jeremiah on a, a national scale. So um, that being said, uh, it was a great conversation with him. Um, we'll, as Phil said, we'll link all of his information in the podcast description. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll plug all his handles and whatnot. Uh, but, yeah, man. Can't wait to uh to continue this offseason and continue to talk about the draft because as you said, like we're offseason champions and this is just our time to shine. And it's, it's our just time. The, yeah, it's the funnest time of the year for us because normally the regular season has to deal with a lot of losing. That's right. And the NFL draft, we at least know what number one should come with a big fat w but jay uh you know you pretty much already covered it in terms of you know what everybody has to look forward to on the show anything else that they can uh, check out over on the jaguars wire before we get out of here yeah so in terms of uh the uh jaguars wire in this podcast like i said we'll just be really in, in terms of especially the dra- uh the jags wire we'll be looking at uh free agency because that's the next big step basically in you know, there's kind of like no combine. I mean, it, it like I guess they'll have like a different combine process, but it won't be the normal combine process. So, uh, you know, we'll just kind of focus on the prospects themselves as opposed to, uh, you know, around this time, you normally focuses on pro days and this, that and the other. But uh, for us, the main pro day that we needed to see is over with anyway. And that was Trevor Lawrence. We saw that last week. We got plenty of information up on that. Uh, so, yeah, that's what we'll be doing. With the Jaguars wiring, as I've already said, you know, with this draft, uh, with the draft coming up, uh, we'll really use the podcast to focus more so on that um, and that process. And, you know, we'll, we'll be evaluating, um, you know, some of the uh, decisions that's coming up in terms of what the coaching staff has to make in terms of free agency, this, that and the other. Uh, but more so it'll be more so with the podcast, a guest heavy um, type of, uh, I guess, format heading forward. That's right, folks. And make sure to keep up with us over on social media. You can find us at Believe in Jags Pod. If you haven't already today, head on. We, we didn't even mention the Twitter thing, Jay, which by the time this episode comes out, hopefully we will have hit that 21,000 retweet mark that the Jags social media team has done. But if we haven't yet, make sure you head on over there and, and retweet. We want Teal as the primary. If you are enjoying the show, again, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave that five-star review as well as subscribing. You can also follow us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can tweet Jay and I at sportsgrind underscore Don and myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And of course, you can find us on Believe.com, part of that awesome Believe podcast library. So that's it for this week's episode of Believe in the Jaguars, guys. We will see you next time. Remember to not only believe in the Jaguars, but also believe in yourself. You guys stay safe and we will see you next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.